Welcome to the Manufacturing Employer Podcast, where we talk workplace culture and all things related to the strategies that drive exceptional environments for employees. You'll hear conversations with those in the manufacturing space tasked with making their workplace better. Employee engagement, benefits, onboarding, hiring, we'll be discussing the working experience from top to bottom. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Manufacturing Employer. I'm your host, John Franco, co-founder of Gorilla76. We are the industrial marketing agency. We help manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. On today's show, we have Fred Reggie joining us. Fred is an entrepreneur who has worked more than 35 years in leadership roles. He combines big company thinking with entrepreneurial instincts to create marketplace success. When employees go through one of Fred's programs, they gain psychological insights from his immense multi-industry life and career experience that yield proven strategies to improve business relations, leading to increased customer satisfaction and increased productivity. When mindsets change, desired outcomes increase exponentially, and so does morale. Fred's area of expertise include leadership, service culture, development, and sales. Fred is an accomplished international speaker and presenter as well. And one of the coolest things about Fred, he's a proud Eagle Scout. Fred, welcome to the show. Ready to get into it? I am, John, and I'd like to thank you for inviting me to participate in this. This is uh, this is exciting. Thank you. Of course. And one thing I didn't add in that bio is I think you're one of the few people I've met that the first duck that you shot at, you got. We we were we duck hunted a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Fred is an accomplished duck hunter now as well. So. After all of these years and being raised in Southwest Louisiana, that was my very first duck hunt and I scored. So, hey, I'm hooked. It's awesome. Well, there's a, there, there was something I, I read on, on, on your website and I wanted to just kind of, it, it's front and center on your website and, and I'll read it. it. It says success is driven by your company's culture. And culture is 100% driven by having a strategic plan built upon shared mission, vision, and values. Having clarity about the impact you want to make shapes your culture and permeates the culture through every client interaction. Again, front and center. I would love to hear you just unpack that a bit to give us kind of a baseline for our discussion today. Well, you know, John, we hear a lot about mission statements and vision statements and service culture and customer service, those words get, they almost kind of go in a tumbler and it's very hard to, word to salad. unpack. Yeah, it, it does become corporate word salad in, in a lot of instances. And, and certainly I'm not painting this with a broad brush, but, uh, but my experience is there are a lot of companies that will develop what they call a mission statement, and it may de be developed at an executive level or at a board level and then handed down through the ranks in the company. And the drawback of that is the fact that you have lower level employees in the, in the company that have really not had a voice in expressing the mission statement. And what is a mission statement? Simply stated, the mission statement is the reason the company exists. It's identifying and articulating why do we exist? If our company went away tomorrow, what does the marketplace lose that can never be replaced? And, you know, in the case of manufacturing, if we manufacture widgets, that's the universal term for, for, for manufacturing, right? We, we manufacture a particular widget and all of a sudden we go out of business. 
there's someone, usually someone else who can manufacture that same widget with the tolerances and the, the tooling, et cetera, et cetera. And what really is missing is the workforce. It's the human capital that's involved that makes up the synergy of a business. And it's so critical that everyone involved in that in that workforce has to have some input as to why the company exists to understand their identity so they can remain focused on a shared on a shared vision. And you notice one of the words that I have in in what you just read is shared. It's so critical that that mission statements and vision statements be shared by everyone in the company. In from our experience at Gorilla 76, I mean, I would absolutely agree with every single word you just said. You know, I think a great example of that for us, at least, was when we first started, we were going through a, well, not, I'm sorry, not when we first started, when we first started going through a strategic planning uh, initiative, it was right around, it was right before the pandemic, actually. But as we were identifying our core values, I think I always looked at core values as something we wanted to be. And our facilitator, what was really great about our approach was they were less aspirational and it was more like, let's uncover everything that's here and let's see who you really already are already. Now, luckily for us, the things that we found were things that we wanted to be. So I, it, it worked for us. But I guess my, my, my question or what I'm leading up to is like, for you, do you typically see it as this is as we're doing a mission? Like, is this what we want to be, or, or is it this is who we are? And and at like and and I could see why that would be really important to get everyone involved because that's the only way you can figure out who you are is by talking to your people and getting them involved, right? Yeah, and when you talk about values, which is which is a component of that right. workshop, right? We do mission, vision, and values. Step one, step two, step three. The values are something. It's not it. It's not so much much what you want to aspire to be, but what's at the core and what drives you? What drives the behavior behind everyone in the company? Okay, we all want to have honor these values, not just in the workplace. But everywhere we go, we want to live them. You know, you you were kind enough to mention that I'm an Eagle Scout. And whenever I conduct these workshops and we start to identify what are potential values that we want to put that we want to put out here. And I'll take the 12 points of the Scout Law. A scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. And you, you can still take know it. Those, That's amazing. Oh, <laughs> you can take you can take those twelve points of the Scout Law and find synonyms for any of those, and pick four or five of them, and talk about integrity, compassion, empathy, community. You know, just. That's who we are. That's our identity. And when we walk out the door at the end of the day, that we're ambassadors of the companies we work for. Yep. You know, you know that I spent a great deal of my time uh, in the service of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Yes, sir. I was on the national board for 10 years, and I spent another 10 years developing and directing a national program for St. Jude that ultimately to date has has generated about $650 million. Amazing. And and I had locally in our market here, because I've I spearheaded this fundraising program here in Lafayette, 
that I had an identity because I was on television promoting it and touting it. And I remember one day I was driving in my car and I got irritated at another driver. It wasn't a rage response. It was just kind of a shake it my happens. fist at him. It happens yeah, yeah, to it the best shaking, of us. You know, it, just, it, was, it was a bad day. And my wife was in the car and she reminded me, she says, Fred, remember this. You're the face of St. Jude in this community. Oh, wow. And man, that just really, John, it hit me right between the eyes. She reminded me who I was and what I represented. And I was doing a disservice to that representation. And that's always stuck with me. So same thing in any business. You know, when people know that you work for a manufacturing company or a service company, and that's your livelihood, your behavior, the values that you embrace outside of the workplace are very influential regarding the perception of the company you work for. When I was in college, I, I was in a fraternity and we used to always have a rule. You were not allowed to have an alcoholic beverage in your hand while you were wearing fraternity letters, while you were identifying who you were. And as a guy going into college, I, I think my mindset was like, wait, isn't that what you like? I don't know. Isn't that what people do and whatever? So I I, I, I kind of learned that at that age, like you are really a representation. I mean, I think about that when I go out in public wearing, I mean, I like to think that I try to be a good human anytime I go outside, but like when you have your my gorilla 76 hat on or a shirt or something. It's like, I, I am the face. And, and even if I don't have that shirt, I mean, regardless, I'm representing um, my company, my organization. So that that's a, that's a really interesting kind of little story you had there. Yeah. And, and we have to, you know, on the front end of that, developing a mission statement, the, the purpose statement, the understanding why this company exists. I think it's critical that everyone has some input at every level. To identify it, because from that comes the value proposition of the company. And what is the value proposition? It's the promise that's made to the public by the company. I like to use a very simple, understandable uh, illustration. Let's use Fleming Steakhouse, for example. Okay. Fleming Steakhouse represents to the public that when you come into Fleming's, you're going to get superb service. You're going to be served the very best prime beef on the planet. This is what we promise to you. So to, to make good on that promise, Fleming's has to make sure that all of their suppliers, all of their employees, everyone is on the same page with that promise that's made to the public. The employees have to know, the servers have to know, the kitchen has to know, the quality of what comes out of the kitchen has to be met, the quality of the service at the table has to be met, and what comes from the vendor has to be aligned with that promise. If I am providing Fleming's with their ribeye steaks, we will just say that's all, that's all they buy from me are ribeye steaks, and they represent the highest quality prime beef. I may have four or five different categories of prime beef that I can sell, but I know that Fleming's is only going to accept and they can, they're only going to accept the top grade because that's what they're promising. So 
I can't try to, hey, negotiate a lesser deal. Say, look, I can get you one grade lower than this, and it'll save you 30 cents a pound or 50 cents or a dollar a pound or whatever it is. And I can't do that. So it's very important that companies incorporate every touch point into the mission statement, the vision, and what is that value proposition? What are we promising to our customers? And everything that we do has to ensure that what we promise is actually delivered on a consistent basis. So shifting that to what would that look like in the manufacturing space? Like what would what would like consistently delivering that great stake, consistently living up to your mission, vision, values. What does that look like when it's done well in maybe like a manufacturing setting? Or what does that look like when it's not done well? Is that something you could, I don't know, paint a bit of a picture for? Well, you know, the manufacturing industry, manufacturing sector is a little different than the service sector. It's considerably different than the service sector because, because there's, there's a linear component in manufacturing that's based upon engineering and tolerances and specifications and, and a lot of left brain activity goes into the output. Okay. But if those engineers and those production line workers understand what promise are we making to our customers, that will help ensure that every step along the way, they have their antenna up. And, and, and also, what is, what is the sales force promising to these end users, these, the, you know, these customers? The sales force goes in and says, hey, we're going to deliver these widgets to you and they're going to be precision. There's going to be very, you know, there will be absolutely almost zero tolerance levels, whatever the specifications yeah. are. So, and here's how we're going to deliver it on a consistent basis. So as a sales team member, I am representing the production aspect and the delivery aspect, and I have to make sure, the company has to make sure that what I'm promising to that customer is actually going to be created through the process. And the best way to do that is to have everyone in the company understand that. The best way to have them understand that is to have members of each one of those departments at different levels participate in the development of the mission statement and ultimately the value proposition. Because then they're all on board. We all understand why we exist. We understand what our role is and what we have to do from a performance standpoint in order to execute and deliver that promised product the way it is intended to be delivered and received. Because, John, you know as well as I do in the manufacturing business, if you lose one customer, oh, it's huge. you lose a whale. You lose a whale. That, that's a significant hit to the KPI. It's interesting as you've talked about this, Fred, I, 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 I mean, absolutely. You, you lose a client. It's, it's a lot different than losing. And, you know, I, I've never worked in the the shoe business, but if Nike makes one customer mad and they quit, buying, well, okay, it's fine. There's still tons of people buying Nikes, but when you have only a client base of maybe 10, 15, 20 clients, you know, well, let's say 10 clients, you lose a client, that's 10%. I mean, right there is gone. So that, that's yeah. a big hit. But it's interesting as you talked, because uh, as different as the restaurant, you know, we started kind of talking about the the restaurant, the Flemings, 
And then we went to manufacturing. But in a lot of ways, when you think about those two industries, a lot of it's very similar. The product, the the raw materials have to be top notch, has to be precise. The the steak temperature has to be just right. And then when it goes out to market on the menu, when it's being served to people, whatever, that has to be delivered as well. So it's actually really, I, 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 I kind of, I'm trying to make that connection because our client success director, Sultana, she interned, before she interned at Gorilla, she worked at Lululemon, who has outstanding customer service, if you've ever been in any of their stores. And she brought a lot of learnings from the retail space into a B2B marketing industry. So I guess I, all I'm saying is like, it's, I think there's a lot of learnings to be gathered from other totally different verticals, totally different industries. Absolutely. You know, it's, and and to your point, you know, one of those experiences in my past life was I owned a restaurant and I always said that we are in the order taking, we're in the selling, the order taking, the manufacturing and delivery business, all within 30 minutes or 40 minutes. Right. Yep. You come in. We sell you with what's on the what's on the menu. We take the order. We put the order in. It's manufactured to specifications. It's put on a plate and it's delivered. Yep. And and you know there's there's no margin. You know as well as I do. There's not a whole lot of margin for ever error in a uh, in a restaurant or in any business. In any business. My dad was in the restaurant business for a long time, and he would always say, "You can get it right." 50 times, but that customer comes in and has one bad experience there. They, you could be losing them. I mean, and that's, you got to get it right every time. Um, we, it's interesting that we actually, we had a, we had a current client reach out several months back and very well-known bread maker here in St. Louis had some cafes for a while, but really like makes outstanding, um, outstanding breads and, they're getting like grocery store distribution right now, but reached out because he wanted to to work with us and or to explore working with us. And immediately we kind of shot it down. Hey, we're only in the manufacturing space. And he was like, that's what I do. I am manufacturing <laughs> really good bread. And I the yeah. light bulb went on. You're like, you're right. And you're it's a yeah. B2B play. He's trying to sell to other businesses. So um yeah. anyway, a bit of a tangent there. But I think I think that idea of I, I think the great restaurants always do service really well. And that idea of service culture, which I know is something you're huge, like that, that is a huge focus of yours. And admittedly, before you and I kind of spent a little time together, I don't know that I really knew what service culture was. Can you define that for us? Well, you know, it, it, when you compare it and and I have, I have a, uh, I have a blog that I just put out and that you saw it's regarding great. customer service versus service culture, you know, Customer service is the interaction that a company has with a customer or a prospect. You know, it's how do you service the account? How do you manage the delivery and the relationship? That's what that's what customer service is. And and a lot of times it's confused when we talk about service culture. Service culture is the day-to-day activity. It's what drives, it's the compass that drives a company that that issues the unspoken directives to each employee because they understand what the mission is. What's mm. the vision of the company? How am I playing a role in this? Okay. I like to say that customer service is the face of the business, but service culture is its soul. 
it's the soul of the business. It's really what's internal. Customer service is forward facing. That's that's Which that and, soul and that's, is what's so important, right? Like, oh, sure. And 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 it goes comes for a full circle. You have to have the service culture in place, or else you're not going to have the customer service. Because whoever is delivering customer service has to understand what is our service culture, what is our purpose, how do we function on what what's the compass that drives us on a day to day basis, on an encounter by encounter basis with our prospects and with our customers. Is that kind of the? It feels like you're starting to get. I know. I know you talk about the ripple effect of service culture. Is that kind of leading into that? Like what you just said. Is that kind of like that? The beginning of the the ripple effect, so to speak, of service culture and how it, it expands. Well, yeah, because because you you start. That's what you build your reputa- reputation on. You know, Isidore Sharp, who's the founder of the Four Seasons Hotels, which I think is just, you know, that's the benchmark when you you talk about luxury hotels and the service. He says, it's not the complaint that the customer remembers, it's the outcome. And that outcome is delivered based upon the service culture of the hotel, what is ingrained in every employee. And when you talk about a ripple effect, those are the things that get talked about. Those are the things that resonate and reshape the thinking of the customer as to who do I want to do business with? Think about this, John. There are companies that you have personally done business with where you've had a so-so experience. And then there are companies that you've done business with that have just blown you away. Okay. And they may offer the same services. Which one are you going to choose? The one that blows you away. Sure. Which one are you going to talk about? Which one are you going to encourage your friends and business associates uh, associates to patronize? It's okay. That's the one. So, so when you look at when when you look at the impact of service culture, the identity of how we treat our customers, how do we treat people in our space? How do we? And look, your customers are also the people that work in the space with you. Okay, there's internal customers and external customers. Let's not forget that. And there's no way that if you if you're effective in developing a service culture that you're going to deliver one level of service to a to the end user, to the customer and not deliver that same approach to the people who work in the organization. So it creates ripples within the company, outside of the company. It resonates with everyone it comes in contact with. <clears throat> And it reshapes how they think about the company, how they think about the company they work for and how they think about the company they're buying from. Because they, they, you know, even when you screw up, even when there's a slip up, okay, if you have a solid service culture in place and your customers understand that, your end users understand that, they will cut you slack and give you the opportunity to make it right. Because we all make mistakes. Well, and I, I going back to your point about two companies providing the same widget, so to speak, one you have a great experience with, one you have a bad experience with, obviously, you're going to want to continue to work with the one you have a great experience with. But on top of that, I think we all kind of innately have this, um, or many of us do have, innately have this thing where we want to we want to share, we want to be evangelists for great companies. We want to be the, we want to... We want to be the person that can tell our other friend who owns a manufacturing company, 
marketing agency, restaurant, whatever. Hey, I know the best partner for this. And like, we've had an out, like I love being a cheerleader for the partners who have given us great service. I, I, that's one of the first things I'll do. Sure. But on the other side of that, the ones who we've not had a good experience with, my reputation's on the line if somebody reaches out and says, hey, how were they as a partner? I can't say they were good. I got to tell them the truth. So that that, I, that ripple effect's really getting out there now at this point. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and here's something else that a lot of people don't realize when we talk about competition, okay? Uh, when I conduct workshops, one of the questions I'll ask is, who is your competition? And of course, universally every if they don't say myself i get that a lot myself i'm own, i'm a, yeah. i'm my own i get my own way i'm a perfectionist yeah. yeah so you know besides that usually the competition is a named like product or service provider in other words if if i'm making the abc widget there's someone else making an abc widget that's my competition okay not so the competition in the mind of the prospect, the person you're dealing with, the competition is the person who delivered the last most memorable experience for that individual. Think about that. That's where the benchmark for customer service gets set, for service appreciation gets set. They could have just come back from a, from a, from a trip to Disney World, and all of a sudden, for the next two or three weeks, their benchmark of outstanding service might be their experience at Disney hmm. or at a Four Seasons Hotel or at Fleming's or at Nordstrom's, whatever it was, something that put them in that space of being appreciated. That's who becomes your competition in that moment. You have to rise to that level. Then you can talk about the product and the service that you're comparing to other like providers. So, as we think about kind of bringing this all full circle back to the kind of the HR suite of a manufacturing company, what role can the HR team have in the service culture, um, in building that, in looking for people when they hire them? I mean, obviously, it, it, a lot of it probably just depends on the missions, the values, the vision, all those things. But like generally speaking, what role does the HR suite, so to speak, have have in this? Well, HR's role is usually human human development, human capital development within the organization. And to really take a close look at what is the company mission statement and where did it come from? And I'm speaking in my world, okay? You know, they bring in leadership, uh, leadership development uh, coaches and consultants to for, and, and I do that. I, you know, I'll go in and work on leadership issues and sales and negotiations. And but before going into any of that, in my opinion, you have to start with a foundation of a solid mission statement. It, it if everyone in the company does not understand why that why those doors are open and why that company exists, everything else is fluff because everything else feeds into that. When I meet with a client and I'm putting a proposal together to do work with them, one some of the questions I ask pertain to other vendors that they are working with. Who are you working with? And you don't have to tell me by name, but tell me about the best experience you've had with one of your vendors. What you know, what are the what are the benchmarks along the way that make that relationship so good? 
And what are the benchmarks of the ones that give you problems that are not the most favorable vendor? Because all vendors don't fall into the same categories. Right. I want to be sure that I uh, understand the, the 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 current service culture of a business and who is providing it, who are they happy with, who are they not happy with? Because I want to ensure that what I'm addressing with the company aligns with their with with their mindset and where they are, where they're going, where they want to go. And without that understanding, I'm just another consultant. One thing that I think everyone is battling right now is a risk of turnover. The the as everyone says, good people are hard to find. Um I think the restaurant industry is probably one of the most notorious for, or at least it, it obviously depends on the restaurant, but just high turnover. I would love to hear, and and a little off script here, I, we had our pre-planning yeah. call. I didn't even bring this up, but it's something no, I am always focused on. But when you were in the restaurant space where you are at risk of high turnover, maybe even higher than other industries or, or manufacturing, they can see it a lot as well. How did you combat that? Like, how did how or how would you advise a company to approach that or to start to think about that? Like, you've got your good people now; we got to keep them here. And obviously, there's pay and those things. But how would you build that out? Well, again, now if we go to the restaurant business, I will tell you that I was the most expensive dishwasher in the house. Okay, if you want to talk about turnover, dishwashers were the turnover in my in my restaurant. Okay, they really were. But yeah, no, and I'm glad you brought up turnover, John, because turnover is such an issue and a very costly issue. Oh, it's those who those those who take a look and analyze the cost of turnover will acknowledge that to turn over one employee costs 150 to 200 percent of what they're being paid. By the time, by the time you, you put out, by the time you fill the gap that's temporarily that's, that's lost and that you have to fill it, you have to recruit, you have to train, you have to put them in. There's a learning curve that goes along the way, the mentorship, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It costs you 150% or 200%. And you don't have to have a very high turnover to be faced with a very costly situation. To your point, how do you minimize turnover? To our point about service culture, if you have a well-defined and understood service culture, when everyone on board understands and appreciates the mission statement and shares the vision of the company because they were brought in in the development of the mission statement, they take ownership, they own the position they're in. Because they have helped to lay the groundwork, to create the compass that's going to drive everything. And they've agreed to participate in that, <clears throat> in, in all of those directives that are going to produce the outcome that's going to make good on the, on the value proposition. And when employees take ownership of their job, John, you know this is, I mean, this is 101, right? When they take ownership, they're less likely... <clears throat> They're less likely to, to leave. They're less likely to just randomly underperform. They're more likely to interact with their supervisors, to discuss problems, to come to understand that they have a power of collaboration, 
they can sit down. If they're if there's an issue that they're struggling with, they should be able to sit down with their supervisor, their manager, their team, and say, hey, look, we have a problem here. How do we hammer this out to ensure that it doesn't continue? Then they feel validated in their role. Rather than having somebody just pointing a finger and say, you have to do this because we said you have to do this, okay? Do this and do this and do that. And they get frustrated because they don't have a voice. So that's that's one critical component. And that's that's, again, what the proper development of a mission statement and a shared vision and those core values that we talked about, the development of that, where everyone embraces it and lives it on a regular basis. It's just like a football team. Everyone plays a different position. They know what they have to do, but their eyes on the prize. Their eyes are on the prize. They know that they have to score. They know they have to score over and over. They have to win this game. They have to win the next game. They have to go into the playoffs. Everyone is focused on the same objective. Well, they're all doing something differently, but they're all being directed by someone, the coach and the quarterback who's calling the plays. They're being directed and they understand, they put confidence in because they've been, they have those meetings. They, They have those team meetings during the week where everyone gets on the same page and they understand the objective and everyone the tackle, the wide receiver, the 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 running backs, the the linebackers, the safeties, the guy everybody holding the has, extra points. I mean, even like the everybody, roles that you, yeah, yeah, and everybody has input. Everybody has provided an opportunity to contribute to the conversation because the overall picture is what they're looking at. How do we get there from here? Where are the weak points, and and be able to acknowledge that. So. I, does that answer your question? Absolutely. And and I and, think and, that- and when people are happy in their work, they're not going anywhere else. Yep. You don't want, you know, there's nothing sadder than someone who is working for a paycheck. You know, I'd rather I'd rather know they're working for a purpose versus a paycheck. The paycheck is just that's the score, that's the report card for a job well done. But I want people working for me who who are driven by purpose, who understand their purpose, who understand how they fit into the big picture, to the whole scheme of the business. And when you do that, you begin to reduce the turnover rate because you have employees who are more content, more focused, and feel more personally invested and successful in the operation of the business. And it's something that's a challenge for us. It's natural to focus on the quarterbacks, on the head coach, on the star wide receiver. It, I, I understand why it happens. But my grandfather, who was a played professional football, amazing athlete, just amazing athlete. He coached. I was lucky enough to get to be coached by him for a good portion of my life. And he would always say special teams will win and lose more ball games than than like really any other role. And sadly, Special teams are often the the dishwasher or the person working the second or third shift in the manufacturing facility. So I think bringing this all full circle, that's why we got to include them in these high-level discussions. That's why we have to bring them into the room, even though they might just be, and I say just be in air quotes, because it it can, it's an if you don't have clean dishes, you can't have a good experience. It starts there, right? Like it starts there. And 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 don't forget if you if you have someone who's not washing the the, the pots and pans that have to get back into the yeah. kitchen, then your production slows down. 
because right. they don't have the they don't have the equipment that they need to produce what what's promised. So that's so, why we yeah, got to include them in all these conversations. Everybody like, has to be included, and and I think the biggest mistake that some companies make is diminishing the intelligence or the capability or the significance of input from people on lower rungs uh, on lower rungs of the ladder within a company because everyone plays a role their role is important to them and it's important to product if if it's not important then that role should be eliminated if it's not valuable to the process right then you're wasting money trim the fat yeah yeah right so so you know they they tell the story and and it's it's an anecdote that floats around and it's about a it's about a guy who goes into a hospital and he sees a janitor uh, you know mopping the floor and he says hey what do you do here he says well i mop the floors he says i'm the janitor and he goes into another hospital and he sees a janitor and he says hey what do you do here he says oh i help save lives he says you save lives he says oh yeah he says you know we're a hospital there's a lot of germs there's there are a lot of a lot of pathogens and and it's my job to ensure that everything is clean and sanitized so those so that doesn't spread and make people sicker so i'm actually helping to save lives so that janitor which a lot of people consider at the very lowest rung of a corporate ladder right which i i have a lot of respect for people who are willing yeah. to who, who do that but <clears throat> you know the perception is well they get the mop and they clean up and they wipe everything down. But this guy understood. And it's the same way in any, you know, with a dishwasher, <laughs> you know, yeah. or or the guy who who sweeps the the shop floor at the end of the production day. So so everybody, if they don't play an important vital role, then they shouldn't be there. Yep. And and so much of it before before we were recording, we were talking about some of your books behind you. Uh Made to Stick is one of my favorites. Shout out to Dan and Chip Heath, but so much of it's positioning. Like, yes, cleaning floors. Yeah, in reality, there are floors being cleaned. But when you really stop and think about it, lives, germs are being eradicated. Lives are exactly. being saved. That's positioning. That's making it an idea that sticks, right? Yeah. And and something something that really needs to be emphasized here, John, when you have a sales team member going out to solicit to to solicit uh, 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 work in a job and a and a and a, a purchase, okay, they have to be sure to share the service dynamic, the service culture. Of it's not just the product and the price that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the culture that we have that ensures that we're going to deliver that to it. I think it's critically important that people in the sales arena have to go and represent to the prospect how the company functions. How do we operate? Here's how we know that we will deliver what we promise to you. Because we have people, you know, systems of checks and balances. You have to articulate that to make the purchaser feel comfortable in the process. It's not just about price. I want to know, I want to know that there's some machinery some human capital machinery behind what we're doing. Well, Fred, before I, we kind of start to wrap, anything we didn't talk about that you were really wanting to, I mean, man, we we covered a lot. And 
I had, you know, this was fun. The only thing, the only thing I would add, John, my, and, and I think I've shared this story with you before. My father, who was a Lebanese immigrant in 1933 at 18 years old, he opened a service station in little Crowley, Louisiana, with a population of about 5,000 people at the time. And he had a little two pump service station. Several years ago, I ran across some letters that my dad had written to my mother when they were courting. And for, for those listeners who don't know what courting is, courting was, it was the swipe right and it was the swipe right and swipe left of the day. Okay. And my, my mother would go to Shreveport, Louisiana, and visit a relative in the summer, and they would write back, they would write to one another back and forth, because obviously, you know, to place a phone call, if you had access to a phone in 1933, was a very costly thing. So they would write to one another. And I discovered some of those letters that my dad had written to my mother. He had letterhead. Imagine this, an 18-year-old kid with a service station in Crowley, Louisiana, had the forethought to have letterhead printed, okay? That's awesome. And and he would write letters to her on letterhead from the service station. And the letterhead was Reggie's service station. Simple enough. And it wasn't until I had read several of those letters that I noticed a tagline under the under the letterhead. And the tagline was, we serve to serve again. Mm. We serve to serve again. That's and really good. That's my company motto now. Okay. I've embraced that because... When you think, and, and that's how my father lived his life. My whole family, his brothers, his sister, you know, were always in service to other people. And what that says that my dad didn't want to just put gasoline in your car. He wanted you to come back and buy tires and get a tune up and get a lube job. All of that, you know, everything that was, that service stations did, it was not just a one-off. And I try to approach my business the same way, and I think every business should serve to serve again, whether it's to serve that customer again, that client again, but maybe a referral, yep. get a referral from them so you can serve someone else again. And it's, it's a continuum. It's not just, I want to serve you. I want to get this thing done. We've done the workshop. You've got your mission statement. You've got your vision statement and your values. It's been great working with you. Goodbye. No, I want to continue serving my clients in whatever capacity I'm capable of, uh, of serving. Sometimes that capacity might mean referring them to another coach or another consultant to work in an area of expertise that I don't have. But I want to be a trusted advisor. And that's what serve to serve again means for me. You know, Fred, we've gotten to know each other the, the past couple of years. And I can say without a doubt that you are very much carrying that legacy. I mean, you spend just a couple of minutes with yourself or your family, and it's very apparent that you guys are, are you're, you want people to have a great experience, whether that's an invitation over for dinner, whether that's a, you know, your, your approach to business, whatever it is. So um, well, I, you're very I, kind I, to say that. Thank you. Well, I, I mean that. And and as a, as a copywriter, a trained copywriter, that tagline is brilliant uh, because on top of it, it's, it's ownable. It, it ties directly to a service station, like literally a service station. Yeah. That, that, that's a great yeah. tagline. I wish I would, wish I could say I, I wrote that one. So but but thank you so much for just sharing all this today. And um, it was a fun conversation. We went a, a kind of all over the place, but I think that's how the best conversations go. But how how can our listeners learn more? How can they stay in touch? Uh, what's your website? You know, can you just share those details? 
Yeah, my website is simple. It's fredreggie.com. That's F-R-E-D-R-E-G-G-I-E.com. Or they can they can email me at fred at fredreggie.com. And I'd be more than happy to schedule a conversation with them. And we can talk about what their needs are and whether or not there's a there's something that some work that we could do together. And, and is it okay if they reach out to you on LinkedIn as well, I'm assuming? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. Just Fred Reggie. Excellent. Well, yeah. Fred, thanks again to our listeners. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Employer. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Employer Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about our approach to industrial marketing and the role that company culture has in moving manufacturing forward, visit Gorilla76.com.